Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. We've been hearing it for weeks now. COVID cases are rising throughout the state, including here in the Bay Area. All metrics that we follow pretty much are all ticking up. Santa Clara County Health Officer Dr. Sarah Cody delivering that warning during a recent address. Her goal, to encourage residents to strengthen their COVID safety measures once again. People need to take extra precautions and wear their mask indoors and be a bit more choosy about their gatherings, take them outside test, etc. But all of that was just advice. Cody was not laying down a new mandate, and at least so far, neither is any other Bay Area health officer. You know, I would say at this point in the pandemic, no one wants to issue restrictions. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Today in the program, facing this new COVID wave, What precautions should we be keeping front of mind, and how careful is careful enough? Without any new mandates on the horizon, that second question is one that residents are really going to need to answer for themselves for now. So to help us sort it all out, we're going to welcome back onto the program two COVID experts that have been frequent guests throughout the pandemic, sharing their perspectives and insights. First up, saying hello to Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Uh, Hello again, Dr. Monica Gandhi. Hi, thank you. And hello as well to Professor Mom Kilpatrick, who studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. Good to have you back on, Mom Kilpatrick. Thank you very much. Good to be here. All right. So to get a better sense of what the rest of us should be doing right now, um, I'm hoping you both could tell us how you're approaching this moment in terms of COVID precautions. You know, what steps are you taking to keep yourself safe and What calculated risks are you willing to make as well? Uh, First up, curious how you're both feeling at this moment about the COVID risk level in general. Uh, You know, cases are going up, but at the same time, we've still got the vaccines. We've got good treatments now. So uh, lots of tools in our toolbox. Uh, Just in terms of your own personal precautions, Marm, uh, are, are you being more careful today than you were a month ago? 
Uh, I guess I'm being a little bit more careful today than a month ago. Um, my risk, as I see it, given my age in the kind of 50-ish range um, uh, in health conditions, is that my biggest concern now is no longer mortality. It's mostly just related to the possibility of long COVID. So um, unfortunately, we still don't have really good handle on exactly the probabilities of that given infection, especially after vaccination and uh, and treatments for that are, <clears throat> excuse me, still somewhat lacking. So that's my major concern at this point, given that I'm um, both vaccinated and boosted. Yeah. And just the, the rising case counts in general, giving you a little bit more reason to be slightly more careful than you were uh, a month ago. Exactly. So I'm a professor at University of California, Santa Cruz. And I teach a couple of classes that total about 150 students um, and uh, the fraction of students that are testing positive that are asymptomatic, feeling totally fine is in the kind of two to five percent right now. And so that means on any given day when I go into my classroom, there's a good chance that a couple of my students are actually infected at the time. So I'm pretty likely being exposed to the virus uh, on a daily basis. Yeah, that's a good reference point. All right. And uh, Dr. Monica Gandhi, uh, how are you thinking about COVID risks at this moment? Well, I also think about everyone, every all the tools that we have um, to control COVID. So I feel like I think we all talked, you know, several years ago when we didn't have these vaccines, we didn't have the boosters, when we didn't have the treatments. And it's an incredible time in the pandemic for how much progress and scientific progress that we've made. And I um, really think about immunology a lot. I had a great uh, immunology training as a medical student, so I really trust the vaccine, meaning I really like I've thought deeply about not just the antibodies that it produces, but kind of our deep cellular immunity across populations, including immunosuppressed populations. I just wrote a piece on that uh, for Medscape this morning, how, how these are such great vaccines. They work really well, even if you're uh, on an immunocompromising agent. So I feel really comfortable with the security of the vaccine and that vaccine. Um, so I'm not very worried when about cases rise. Um, beyond that, I also think that we're never going to get rid of this virus. That is so very clear from China's experience. And um, it's just it's non-eradicable features in terms of infectious disease principles. So at some point, you have to decide your kind of mental health aspects and going back to life versus, you know, entrusting your vaccine. So all that put together, I feel pretty comfortable. All right. Well, so we're hearing some countervailing forces there on the one hand. It is, you know, obviously a drag that more than two years into this thing, we are having to think about all these topics still. Uh, but on the other hand, as uh, Dr. Gandhi just pointed out right there, our toolbox for confronting this virus is, you know, stronger than it's ever been. So let's get to some of the specific things that we can do to keep ourselves safe. And uh, as we mentioned, health officers in the Bay Area not laying down new mandates, but they are setting out plenty of advice at the moment. Uh, they're talking a lot about indoor masking. They're talking a lot about testing. They're talking a lot about getting up to date on vaccination schedules for folks that are not there yet. And they're also talking about COVID treatments that are coming online. So let's tease apart each one of those, starting with masking and where at this point it makes sense to mask and what sort of masks as well it makes sense to wear. Uh, Mark Kilpatrick, uh, again, starting with you, how are you thinking about these sorts of masking questions at the moment? Um, for me, I see masks as a relatively minor inconvenience. And so I use masks whenever I think there might be a relatively high risk of you know, being directly exposed to infected people. Um, and so uh, when I'm teaching my class 100 people, I mask in that indoor setting um, I also use masks to try to protect other people. So given that I am uh, interacting with 100 students on a daily basis and possibly getting exposed, um, there's lots of people that 
uh, are immunocompromised or at higher risk than I am. And so I sometimes wear a mask to try to protect the people around me. So often when I go into commercial establishments, if there's, let's say, a person serving me ice cream that might be having to ha have hundreds of people in their face every day, I try to at least make the person that they're being exposed to in terms of me being a, a smaller risk. So I think that we can use masks both to protect ourselves and also to protect the people around us, especially those that might not have the ability to be as safe as they might want to. Uh, and Monica, same question to you. How are you thinking about masking at this point? Yeah, I think when we last talked, all three of us, um, it was actually about masks because I have been studying masks since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I wrote one of the first papers in March of 2020 to say um, we should universally mask because of asymptomatic transmission. But because of that, and because I felt responsible for that, I actually really been studying the mask literature. Um, and uh, it doesn't look like just a bunch of different masks work. And it doesn't actually look like mask mandates have worked, probably because people wear a bunch of different masks. So for example, we had hypothesized that cloth and surgical masks could, could um, reduce the severity of disease, which there's some experimental evidence for because they humidify the air behind the um, mouth. Uh, this is an NIH study, but um, you know the way to reduce the severity of disease, the best way is to get vaccinated. So let's go to the transmission containment hospitalization data. Um, the, essentially, we can't we, we can't deny that, you know, in this country, for example, mass mandates have been dropped in, was dropped in 37 states um, as of May, 2021. And then 13 had them off and on um, after that. And people have done all these analyses to compare places with mass mandates without, and there doesn't seem to have been a difference in places that have mass mandates versus not, um, especially after vaccination. That's probably because people are just wearing a bunch of different masks inside cloth, surgical, falling off the nose. So mask mandates, I think at this point, it, it would we'd be hard pressed to go back to um, because, because this kind of common sense data is really available everywhere. So the question is, what if you want to protect yourself? So um, yes, I think that there are specific masks that work best to protect yourself. And the physical science studies do show N95s, KN95s, and I think actually FFP2s and KF94s, KF94s are available for smaller sizes, um, all look like they block the virus more. The, I think it has to be a personal choice and kind of a personal risk tolerance aspect because what I haven't seen, um, and again, I've been studying this, is good evidence that you, that, um, you are essentially, that, that, that all these mass mandates blocked transmission to others. Um, and the best thing you can do whether you're immunocompromised or immunocompetent, is get vaccinated and boosted. Yeah. And uh, just sticking with you for a second, uh, Dr. Gandhi, you know, that's an interesting perspective coming from you because you were one of the strongest voices yes. for masking in the early portion of the pandemic. I remember speaking to you way back in April or May of 2020, and you were making the strong case uh, for yes. masking, uh, including just, you know, the, the forms of masking that we could get at the time, cloth masks, surgical masks, uh, yes. N95s were kind of out of the question at that point, as uh, folks probably remember. Um, so, you know, a lot has changed since then. Sounds like uh, you're thinking on the effectiveness of those forms of masks have changed a little bit. Uh, or, or I mean, I guess I should ask, is it is it the you're thinking on the effectiveness of, the, of those masks or is it simply the fact that we have a vaccine, which is uh, in many ways uh, a, a very powerful tool, accomplishes some of the things that you were saying cloth masks might have been able to do at the time? 
Right. So our, essentially our hypothesis was that cloth and surgical masks reduce the severity of disease. And yeah, we already have a, I consider that immaterial reason now because we have vaccines. Um, and there were a lot, there was a lot of evidence that there was more asymptomatic infection, um, less severe diseases in, 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 um, you know, populations that universally masked. But after the vaccine, the vaccine becomes our biggest tool. Second is that I actually really like to use common sense. Um, and what I mean by common sense is, I think that public health has lost trust. Um, right now, I think the, there was a Pew poll that public health trust in this in this country is at 31%. Trust in physicians is high, but trust in uh, public health has really plummeted to the lowest time in American history. And I think part of the reason that we don't have trust in public health is that we don't update our thinking and our recommendations based on data. Um, and it's not like these, these you know, sort of graphs aren't in the in the public parlance that mask mandates after vaccination didn't change. I mean, uh, anything like, you know, actually, um, you know, in California, for example, OC County didn't put back masks with Delta, LA County did, and there was zero difference in cases and transmission and hospitalizations. It all depended on vaccination rates of which they were equal across the two counties. So it's not like people haven't seen that. And it worries me that when we keep on saying the same thing from two years ago, that we're not increasing trust in public health. And the physical science studies show that certain masks work. Anyone can protect themselves with a good mask. I think it creates confidence for some people who want no chance of a mild infection to be able to wear their mask. But we can't, if we don't update data and our thinking and our statements, boy, I, I shudder to think about monkeypox or other you know, public health issues. We need to have trust in public health. All right. A couple of interesting points raised there. Going to bring it back to Marm. Real quick, going to reintroduce you both. This, once again, is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, we are once again updating our COVID safety best practices as Bay Area health officials warn of rising case counts, but hold off on ordering new mandates. Joining us, we just heard a second ago from Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Also hearing from Professor Marm Kilpatrick, who is also an infectious disease expert. He works at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. So, uh, Professor Mark Kilpatrick, uh, you, you just heard some of the points there. Wondering, has your thinking on masks changed over the course of uh, the pandemic? Again, kind of highlighting an important point that uh, KN95 and N95 seem to be uh, the most effective uh, and there doesn't seem to be uh, a lot of question about how they've uh, held up uh, at broad scales uh, either. But uh, in terms of uh, your thinking, uh, what do you think uh, you've, you've learned about masking over the course of the pandemic? Some of the things Dr. Gandhi said, so definitely the, uh, the fact that we have vaccines now gives us this extra fantastic layer of protection that we didn't really have before. Um, and so I think that makes masks certainly less needed, especially for young, healthy people. Um, and so uh, my feeling on masks or my, my perspective on masks and data supporting their use um, has not changed that much in the sense that there's actually, I think, quite good evidence that both KN95s and related types of uh, masks are quite effective. And that's actually obviously what doctors and healthcare workers used from the beginning and still use to this day. Um, so I think that there's still a tool that we can use in our tool belt when needed and when we either want to reduce our own risk a bit more or reduce the risk to people around us. Yeah. And how how steep of a drop off is there between the various kinds of masks? So, you know, we're kind of ranking KN95s, N95s at the top, surgical masks, then cloth masks. Uh, and, and even with uh, N95s, it's also a matter of how well does that 
fit. Uh, I've never been trained how to fit test an N95 mask. uh, And, you know, doctors point out that it's more effective if it's fit tested. Uh, I've been wondering, you know, how much less effective is is it the way that I'm wearing it, where basically I just, you know, kind of clip it on the nose and hope for the best. Marm Kilpatrick, uh, what should we be thinking about there? Yeah, so that's a great issue. I'm glad you raised that. I think the challenge for many of us is that if we don't have access to many different, say, shapes of masks that fit our face best, um, then, uh, you know, if we're wearing a KN95 mask and there's a big gap in the side and air coming in and out that side, then that's not going to be that much more effective than, uh, say, a surgical mask. So hmm. uh, obviously those masks are really can be fantastic when they fit your face well. But uh, being able to do that in a kind of for a member of the public is not always easy. Uh, so is it a is is it a pretty steep drop off if you haven't had it fit tested? I mean, is should we still think of it as N95 protection? Uh, just if us normies out there are are putting it on, or or is is there a really steep drop off? It's just a, yeah, it's a big question. Basically, how much of the air is basically going through the mask versus going around the mask? And if you wear it on your face and there's you know a gap on the side, and the air is mostly coming in and out through the side, then of course that's not that different than not wearing a mask at all. Hmm. Uh, I guess the flip side, though, is the tighter the seal, the more uncomfortable it is. Uh, how do you, th- how does that comfort question play into your own decision about masks, Marm? Yeah, I think so. For example, uh, I certainly never wear masks when I'm outside. So you see some people kind of walking down the street wearing masks, and I think it's often just a convenience because maybe they're going somewhere that they want to wear a mask and they don't really want to bother taking it off. For me, I find masks a little bit annoying, but not terribly annoying. So I wear them inside when I need to, but then when I don't need to wear them, I take them off. So. Uh, I think that discomfort that some folks feel, I think, is, you know, can be used to not have to wear the mask when they don't need to or when risk is low. And I think outside is the um, safest place for us to be able to interact and, and be. So that's the place where I definitely don't use masks. Yeah. And I guess last question on the masking front, uh, Marm, and we'll uh, get more thoughts from Dr. Gandhi in just a second. But um, how dense of a crowd outdoors would you need to see before you'd want to put that mask on? That's something that I wonder about as I, you know, most of my days I spend out reporting. If I'm at a press conference and I'm in that press scrum, is that dense enough with all those reporters around me that even though I'm outdoors, I should be wearing a mask or is that still relatively safe? Uh, For me, at least, I would think that the, excuse me, risk of uh, kind of aerosol or small particle transmission in outdoor settings is very, very low. So I wouldn't worry so much about that. But I think it is the case that, at least for me, when I'm in very tight packed settings, especially you can imagine like, say, a, a big packed concert outdoors, hmm. then, you know, if there are people spitting in their face, in each other's faces because they're excited and screaming and all those kind of things, then, uh, you know, that's a case where I could imagine wanting to have a tiny bit more protection. So I think in general, for me, outdoors, I feel relatively safe. Um, but I think certainly even if you're really up close and personal with people, um, then the chance that you can obviously just breathe right in each other's faces is, is, is there. So if I was th- that tightly packed, I would probably have a mask on of some kind. All right. Well, uh, let's talk through a little bit. That raises the, the other question of what sorts of situations, generally speaking, should we feel comfortable going to? Uh, where are we at in terms of indoor dining with uh, the case rise that we're seeing? Dr. Monica Gandhi, uh, indoor dining, how do you feel about that? Um, I feel, again, fine about it based on what we were talking about before, <clears throat> which I have had a vac- two vaccines and then a booster. I haven't actually had COVID, um, uh, but uh, there is quite ample evidence at this point that vaccination and then an infection on top of that is the strongest form of immunity that we can get. It's called hybrid immunity. So we're seeing case rises across the country in places that have avoided infection more. We're seeing case rises in the Bay Area, which has been a relatively locked down place compared to other places in California where have higher rates of natural immunity. And it's something to get through. I mean, meaning um, we can't 
not admit that, like how strong hybrid immunity is. It's probably why the United States in general is at the lowest numbers of deaths that they've ever had. A lot of our hospitalizations are what we call incidental that um, we really got to fix this. In Massachusetts, they are, but in most other states, but Massachusetts, we're not distinguishing with COVID or for COVID hospitalizations. So when our hospitalization numbers are reported, it's people who swab positive, but they were there for another reason, at least in Massachusetts, where they decided to consciously um, look at with COVID for COVID, 70% of their hospitalizations are just incidental and 30% are truly from COVID. Um, and so because of that, you can see that hospitalizations are actually staying low in highly immune places. Deaths are at their lowest rate across the country and actually worldwide since March of 2020. And that really is rising immunity in the population. And so cases, it's just, just know it's gonna be impossible to eradicate COVID. I feel like that can't be a controversial statement in, um, in uh, May of 2022. I think what Shanghai just went through is, is a very dramatic example. There were actually human rights violations in attempting to reach COVID zero. And because of that, this is a virus we have to live with. Um, and everyone should make their own personal risk calculations about how they live with the virus. But just like influenza, human metanumavirus, parainfluenza, um, RSV, we have to live with this virus. And we actually have better tools for this virus than we do with than for RSV or influenza. Boy, do I wish I had Paxlovid for influenza. I wish I had a better vaccine for influenza to treat my patients. So keep in mind, we have had more advances in COVID than any of those viruses that I just named. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Selling a little or a lot? <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast today's episode is sponsored by nerd wallet smart money podcast 
Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. Speaking once again to Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Also hearing from Professor Marm Kilpatrick, studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. I want to talk uh, quickly about testing. Of course, at-home rapid tests are relatively easy to get at this point. You can use them either if you have symptoms to confirm that it is indeed a COVID case, uh, or another way, I mean, the, the main way that I've been using it is when I do meet up with vulnerable family members, uh, I take a COVID test ahead of time to see if uh, I might be infectious. But uh, all along the way, we've been hearing here and there that maybe the accuracy of these tests are not as robust against these new strains as they once were. There may be a day, maybe two days where you could be infectious, where you'd still be getting a, a false negative. So it's not a sure thing that these can, you know, it's not a failsafe. Uh, Dr. Kilpatrick, how do you think about the efficacy of testing, uh, home testing at this point? When do you use it? When do you think uh, it might be a little bit, provide a false sense of security? Sure. So I think it's great that you asked that because I think there's still some residual confusion out there. Um, so the way that I think about rapid tests is that they give you a quite good indication about how much uh, viral proteins you're shedding at the time that you take the swab. And so if that's a negative, then I feel pretty confident that if I interact with people for the next few hours, I'm probably also not that infectious. The challenge I think that um, I've heard many people uh, stumble across is that if they feel symptomatic, let's say today, their first symptoms, they'll take a rapid test, they'll test negative, and they think, okay, those symptoms I have are not COVID, so I must be fine. And then they'll go, say, spend a weekend with a bunch of friends. And so I actually have numerous of sets of my friends that have done exactly that, where they've had symptoms on the first day, tested the first day, thought, found it to be negative and thought that indicated a lack of infection rather than simply a high level of proteins in their nose when they took the swab and gone on to basically infect uh, everyone in those groups. So that's happened to multiple sets of my friends. And I think the challenge of that is that they are interpreting a negative test, not so much as what it means at the moment, but what it means in terms of any chance of infection at all happening at that time. And I think that's been one of the um, recurring challenges throughout the pandemic is that we've interpreted a negative test meaning that we're not infected rather than a negative test being that we don't have detectable levels of the virus in our body at that time. And I think that's been one of the great difficulties is that there's really great evidence now that for some period of time after the initial infection, you have low levels of either RNA or proteins or both, and that makes it possible for you to test negative by both rapid tests and PCR, but then of course a day or two later actually be infectious and test positive. And I think that's been one of the great challenges. One of the things that's been slightly new, at least um, from my perspective, is that it seems like the people that have been vaccinated, especially vaccinated and boosted, um, sometimes have symptoms uh, and test negative and then test positive a couple days later. And I think that's where some of the confusion is coming that you're talking about. Um, and I've heard folks like Dr. Michael Mina suggest that that might be because basically our immune system is ramping up faster, given that we have been vaccinated and boosted, giving us a little bit of the symptoms associated with our immune system um, before the virus is at high enough levels really to be detectable on, let's say, a rapid test. And so I haven't seen full great science worked out on that, but that's just some suggestions that um, if you are symptomatic on your first day and test negative by a rapid test, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's not a COVID infection. And certainly I have several uh, colleagues and friends that have tested positive for COVID two or three days after that. So 
I think the best message as far as I'm concerned is that a rapid test really gives you good information for where you are right at the moment you take the test. And I think of that information as being relatively valid for the next couple hours if it's a negative test. But I don't think uh, I definitely <laughs> there's strong evidence to suggest that a negative test right now does not mean that I'm not infected at a low level right now and that I might not be able to be, say, transmit the virus, say, tomorrow or the next day after that. So we really can't use rapid tests to indicate, say, what our status might be a day or two days from now. Yeah, well, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but I have a couple of friends who have done uh, the same thing that you're talking about right there. Uh, Definitely something to watch out for. It is a complicated issue, as uh, Marm was just alluding to right there. But I I think the best way to think about testing is just another tool in the toolbox, another one of those uh, extra layers of protection. Um, We only have enough time for uh, one more question for each of you. And uh, the last question I want to close with, because this is something else that Bay Area uh, health officials have been calling for, is for residents to get more prepared in terms of thinking through how they might get access to treatment, because there are many treatments that are effective against COVID at this point, antivirals, and they're becoming more widely available. We actually learned recently that the California Department of Public Health is getting ready to set up 146 sites that are going to uh, offer both testing and treatment. So make it possible as soon as you get that positive test, you can also get that COVID treatment right in the same place, take out some of the guesswork. Uh, Dr. Monica Gandhi, uh, you were referring to this a little bit earlier. How is are these new uh, treatments changing the game? Uh, obviously, you work in a hospital. Uh, in terms of uh, treating the patients that you see, how important is this in changing the COVID game? Yeah, I think they're very important because um, essentially COVID will always be with us. So actually any disease that's controlled that like COVID needs both vaccinations and treatments. So going back to influenza, we actually have vaccination and treatments for it. Um, Pertussis, we have vaccinations and treatments. So thinking back to COVID, we have now vaccinations and treatments. That's why I think we're in a phase that we can live with the virus. And the treatment aspect is, you know, it's actually only Paxlovid and Molnupiravir that are oral antivirals that are studied for COVID-19. Paxlovid's better than Molnupiravir, but Molnupiravir actually really works if you have drug-drug interactions with Paxlovid. Paxlovid actually prevents hospitalization and death among unvaccinated people um, who are at risk for severe disease by 89%. Paxlovid has not been studied in vaccinated people at risk for severe disease. Um, but we're extrapolating. The FDA is extrapolating. Never been studying vaccinated people, but it makes sense that if you bring down the viral load, vaccinated people will also be less sick. So it should be used for vaccinated people at risk for severe disease. The indications are vaccinated or unvaccinated at risk for severe disease. Not the indication actually isn't for young, healthy people to take Paxlovid, um, you know, to prevent uh, uh, the COVID from, you know, just making it shorter. And the reason it's not indicated is for young, healthy people is because we have been seeing some rebound because if you give it a little too soon, you don't actually get your um, adaptive immunity to kick in and start fighting the virus. You don't want to um, kill the viral load too soon because you want your adaptive immunity to respond to it. So I would just keep it for those populations. People at risk for severe disease, very accessible, very easy to get, have massive amounts of supplies. The Biden administration has focused on this. They're putting it in pharmacies. And I think this is an amazing advance to have treatments. Yeah. Yeah. Very important point. So something for folks to keep on mind uh, in mind if uh, they do become infected. Uh, closing thought to you, Dr. Marm Kilpatrick. Um, not sure where you want to take this, but just generally, I'm curious for your thoughts on where this pandemic looks like it's going at this point and what you think average listeners should be thinking about as they're trying to assess the risk level in their community. You know, when is it time to really 
uh, put their guards up? When is it time to uh, relax a little bit? Uh, what, what sorts of thoughts would you hope people keep in mind in the months ahead? Yeah, I, I think uh, thankfully we're in a much, much, much better place than we were uh, when I first started started talking with you back in 2020 yeah. um, with the mainly with vaccines. But in addition to that, with the treatments that Dr. Gandhi just talked about, I think the combination of those two things really puts us in a much better place. And then unfortunately, because of the million people in the U.S. that have died of COVID-19 and we've had this enormous waves of exposure, we have both vaccine derived and infection derived immunity. But the combination of those two things has really put us in a much better place. So I'm optimistic about uh the fact that I think the subsequent surges we're going to have of COVID-19 will be much smaller in terms of both deaths and hospitalizations than we've had in the past, and that's fantastic. Um, and at the same time, um, I am taking some measures myself to try to protect um, the people around me, especially those that are at much higher risk than myself. Um, and I'm using tools that I think are relatively um, a small annoyance and not really that big of a deal to do so. So that includes things like masking when I'm in high-risk situations. So that's kind of where the perspective that I'm at. I think that... Um, in terms of the future, the thing that most folks, at least that I uh, work with and interact with, are most worried about, if it does arise, would be a new variant of COVID-19 that really can somehow break through our um, either vaccine-derived or infection-derived immunity and cause severe disease in people that have some previous immunity. So thankfully, we haven't really seen that much yet. Um, and, and I think the, the challenge of that is that viral evolution is a hard thing to predict. So most of us are hoping that won't happen, but keeping that on the horizon is one possibility. If that doesn't arise, then it would be great if we can kind of uh, fade back into more of our normal lives and get to have all of our normal social interactions back and things like that. So I'm hopeful for that possibility, but also have a, a little bit of an eye on the horizon to make sure we don't get surprised by something. Knock on all the wood is all I have to say. Certainly, uh, this virus has had plenty of surprises for us over the course of this pandemic, and all we can do is hope for now. Uh, but for now, for now, we are going to say goodbye to our guests and thank them for their insights. We've been speaking once again to Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Dr. Monica Gandhi, always good to have you on. Thank you. And also heard from Professor Mark Kilpatrick. He studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. Professor Mark Kilpatrick, good to speak with you as well. Happy to be here. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024.